I am excited for this new year, and I'm excited not because of yesterday's football games, because those didn't go so well. <laughs> I'm not excited because of the $1.5 billion lottery that has not yet been claimed from last year. So if any of you have that ticket, put it in the bag, please. <laughs> Don't hold on to it. I, I can't imagine what that would be like if I had that ticket. You know, note to self you know, turn in the $1.5 billion ticket before it runs out in a couple months. It's a lot of pressure. No, I'm actually legitimately excited because of what God is going to do in this upcoming year. God is not done in your life. God is not done in this church. God is not in any stretch of the imagination done with what he wants to do. That this is a year that you can legitimately, in faith, lean into and believe God is going to save people. He is going to forgive people. He is going to heal people. That God is going to bestow and just pour out his love on people. That's God's will and his desire. And so he's going to do that. I'm excited about that because it's not just for people out there. It's for us in here. It's for you. And so we can be assured that God is going to do exceedingly and abundantly above what we can ask, think, or even imagine. He is just, he's just that good, and he's on a mission. And so I'm going to kick off a series today that we'll do over the next several weeks called Well Done. Well Done. And well done are words that I believe we all really want to hear in our life. We want to hear at the end of our life. I remember as a college student, I had finished college. It took me six years to get a bachelor's degree. Some of you understand that. You know, you just need that extra time. Uh, and um, I remember at the end of that very long process, and I mean, you have to realize the backdrop too is like I was a hellion in high school. My dad never thought I would even graduate high school. Got kicked out in 11th grade for half of the year. I'll spare you the details, but, <laughs> but anyways, I graduated. I got this letter from my dad, and I'm sure he had said it times before. I just never had, it had never registered in my heart, but he wrote this handwritten letter, never had a letter written to me by my dad ever before, and really never since that I can remember, but in the letter, he was just saying how proud he was of me, and just, well done, son. And I just started to cry in the car as I was parked reading this letter from my dad because it hit something deep inside me. I believe there's something deep inside all of us that longs to hear those words, whether it's from a parent or from our heavenly father. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. Jesus Christ himself, you remember when he was baptized, he went into the Jordan. When he came up out of the river, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And the voice of God just resounded. This is my son. Listen to him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So well done. Well done. We're going to talk about that over the next several weeks. And uh, each one of us, has a mission. Each one of us has a purpose and a plan. God knew you before you were ever born. Glendy hit on that a little bit last week, did a fabulous job on that. And uh, God's mission, God's plan, God's kind of assignment to you is unique to you. And there's then unique responsibilities that we have to bring back a return on that investment back to God. In, uh, we're going to look starting in Matthew chapter 25. 
And Matthew 25, uh, obviously, is backed up, or let's say the context of it comes from Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about when he would return. Jesus could return this year. This year. Now, I'm not going to write a book or anything on that. You know, I, I understand those books sell quite well. This isn't a prophecy, but it's literally true. Jesus could return this year, especially if you don't expect him to, because that's when he said he would be coming back. See, the early disciples understood this well. They lived with this expectancy uh, that Jesus might return any day. And I, I think that somehow we live in a different time when we actually don't live that way with that sense of expectancy, and he wants us to. And so Matthew 25 is a parable, a parable of, of uh, three guys and a master. And we're going to look at that parable this morning. So if you have a Bible or your iBible, open it up. Matthew 25, we'll start in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So there's a few things we know about this man as we read the parable. One, the guy is rich. This man is very wealthy. The other thing we know is this man is an owner. He's the guy who owns the stuff. And the third thing we know about this man is that he's, he's a master. He's the master, and the others are the servants. And so I'll just give it away up front. This man, this, this man represents God, and we are the servants in the parable. Now, this particular verse that we just looked at it says that this man, he went on a journey and he entrusted to his servants his property. And that's the concept of stewardship. It's when you get something that doesn't belong to you, that someone else owns it, but they've entrusted it to you, to use. For example, my son, Zach, and his wife, Cassie, and, the, and the, my two grandkids, Eli and Jonah, were here for Christmas. They flew up from Phoenix. They didn't have a car. They didn't want to rent a car. Evidently, it was crazy expensive. And so I loaned them my car. When I loaned them my car, they became the stewards of my car, right? I'm the owner. They're the stewards. And uh, they brought it back at the end of their trip. One piece, no dents, filled with gas. Parent, isn't that how you want your kids to return your car to you? You know, one piece, no dents, filled with gas. And if they want, they can wash it too. Well, that, <laughs> that, that very night, Tisa and I were going out. It was a little foggy, and she was driving. And she bumped into a rock, and it dented the back bumper. And... But she's the owner, right? So she can do that. No, she can't do that. But it happened. It happened. And um, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to put a dent in someone's car, I want it to be my car because I'm the owner. When you're a steward, it feels like there's a responsibility that goes with stewardship that even is above ownership in the sense that it's not mine. It's someone else's. I need to treat it with care. I need to make sure that I use it well and return it in a condition that is as good or better than when it was given to me. And here's the truth. Everything you and I have belongs to God. We are called stewards. 
We get to use the stuff that God puts into our hands for 50, maybe, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And then we're going to give it back, right? We're, we're going to give it to someone else. I've never seen a U-Haul being towed behind a hearse. It's, you're going to leave it all behind. You're going to give it to other people. And it's not yours to keep. I read a story about a woman in an airport. And uh, she was waiting for her plane. She went and bought uh, at the little snack shack a, a little pack of her favorite Oreo cookies. And she went and sat down in the waiting area waiting for her plane. And in comes this guy that she didn't know from anywhere. And he sat down right next to her. And in the middle, kind of on the, air, on the armrest between them, is a pack of Oreo cookies. And so the man reaches in and takes one of the cookies and starts eating it. And she is flabbergasted. Like, how dare this guy? And so she picks one out of the bag and starts eating it and looks at it, glares. <laughs> and he smiles, and then I evidently couldn't speak English, and so he just reaches in and he grabs another one and starts eating it. And so she grabs another one and starts eating it. And they do this back and forth until they're down to the last cookie. And on the last cookie, the man has the audacity to reach in and grab the cookie, break it in half, offer her half. And he eats the other half and he just smiles. She is so ticked off. She gets up and she goes off onto her airplane where, uh, where it was ready to board. She gets in, gets on her seat, settles in her seat. She's still fuming. She looks inside her purse and there are her Oreo cookies. <laughs> Not only did she not eat her cookies, she was eating his cookies the whole time. It's easy to get confused who owns things, isn't it? And some of us have a lot of cookies. And we get confused. It's like a two-year-old, you know what? Two-year-old's favorite word is me or mine, right? My toy, mine blanket, all of that stuff. And, what, and I wish it was just two-year-olds that thought that way. I think that way sometimes. Did you know that your house, your car, your bank account, none of it actually belongs to you. It's all God's. He owns everything. And it's on loan to you. And not just your assets, your bank accounts, but your kids, your energy, your talent, your intellect, your creativity, your job. All of it is a gift. It's an entrustment given to you to use. And so it says in verse 15, to one of these servants, there's three, to one of them, he gave five talents. To another, two. And to another one, one. To each according to his ability. And then he went away. God has given you and I differing things in our life. We all have some money. We all have some intellect. We all have some energy, some creativity. We all have some resources God has placed within us, some spiritual gifts. And it's important how we use what God has entrusted to us. Now, keep in mind, the natural, these talents that the parable is talking about is not talking about your natural talent. You're, maybe some of you are talented in music, like some of these musicians up here blow me away every week. Gift of music, you know, that's a natural talent. Or maybe you're excellent in sports 
or you're just a dynamic saleswoman. Those are natural abilities and talents. This is not what this is talking about. This was actually, in the Old Testament, a talent was a, a measure of weight. And then in the New Testament, it's actually a measure, like a pound. And then in the New Testament, it became a, a measurement of monetary worth. Maybe like in England, where you have the pound as the same idea. The pound, though, is an amount of money. It's, it's monetary. So how much was a talent? One talent, and this is important to understand. To understand the parable, we have to, we have to really get this. That there's these vast amounts that are being handed out here. One talent was worth 10,000 denarii. Now, one denaria, denarius is one day's labor for an average laborer. One, one 10,000 days of income. That's like 20 years of income. If you were to make 30,000 a year as a laborer over 20 years, that's $600,000. That means to one person, $3 million was given to the guy with five talents. To the person that was given two talents, that's $1.2 million. And then to the one with one talent, $600,000. Let's say you're the one that just got one talent. Would you be okay with that? You see, every one of them, even the person with one talent, was given an extraordinary amount of money to invest, to use. They were stewards. And it's so easy, isn't it, to underestimate what God has placed in your hand, what God has given you. Even though it's different, we tend to compare with other people. Well, they have more creativity. They have more talent. They have more energy. They have a better job. They have a bigger house. They have this. They, and it's so easy to compare rather than to understand that what God has given to you is, is enormous. The relationships, the things he's placed in your hand, because the parable is about money, but the principle is about life. It's about everything God has entrusted to you. Everything he's placed in your purview, in your capacity to steward. And so it's incredibly important for us to understand there's value in what God has placed within you. Verse 16 says, he who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. And that, that just shows us that God cares with what we do with it. That one of them brings 100% return, the other guy brings 100% return, and whatever he's given to you, he wants you to develop it. He wants you to use it. He wants you to invest in it, and not just to play it safe. But let's look at this third servant in, this, in the parable in verse 18. What does he do? It says, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. The third guy comes along and he does zip. He does nothing with it. He plays it safe. I mean, he, he's like nothing, nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? I'm just going to bury it. And the master's reaction is pretty intense. In verse 26, the master says, you wicked and lazy servant. I'd say he's kind of upset. This is a parable about God. God is saying, if you don't use the talent, the things, the resources, and, and, and 
take your stewardship seriously, he's saying, I'm not happy. Not happy about that. Now, laziness is not just inactivity. We often think of that. Oh, he probably just didn't want to go to work that day. No, he probably worked a lot. Probably had a lot of appointments in his life. A lot of busyness. Busyness does not equate to good stewardship. Good stewardship is valuing what God has given and then investing your time and your life and your money and your energies in a way that brings a return to the kingdom. I can't please God by playing it safe in life. God's given me some talents. He's given you some resources, spiritual gifts, a calling, a vocation, and he wants you and I to use them in a way that brings an increase, not just for our comfort, or convenience, but in order to impact this world, in order to make other people's lives better, to help develop the kingdom of God, because God's at work. He's at work. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what the Bible teaches us. And God would rather have us serve him and try and fail than to risk nothing and succeed. And so as you look at your life and you take the stewardship and look at the different areas in which God has entrusted you things, relationships and assets and energy levels and creativity and intellect, how will you invest that this year? Because when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, what we long to hear in our heart of hearts is well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 19 says, now after a long time, the master of the house of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And the, you know that's an audit you're not going to get to miss because every one of us will settle accounts. Every one of us will give, a, give an account for how we lived our life. And there's two questions that will be on the pop quiz at the end. It's important we understand and prepare for these two questions. Two questions. One. What did you do with my son, Jesus? That's going to be a question that we're all asked when when we leave this planet. What did you do with my son, my only son that I sent for you? And the second question will be, what did you do with the gifts, the resources, the stuff I placed in your life and entrusted to you? What did you do with your life? Verse 20 says, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's like a party going on. God's desire is to celebrate with us. He believes in you. And he's entrusted these things to us because his heart is that when it's all said and done, that he'd be able to say, good job, well done. Well done, daughter. Well done, son. 
And that's what I want in my life. I know that that's what you want in yours. I want to just live my life before an audience of one. I don't want to live it to try and please and pander to people. I want to live it making sure that I'm pleasing to God. This third guy in verse 24 says, He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Why is it that we play it safe? Why is it that we have this tendency to try and just sit on our talent, sit on the things uh, that God has entrusted to us and just, just wait it out? Fear. Fear. You remember Adam in the garden. That was what he said after he sinned was, I was afraid. So I hid. Fear is a crazy thing because what it does is it dictates your responses instead of being able to just respond in faith. When we're fearful, we're afraid. Like, take money, for example. It's such a practical, tangible thing. When you're afraid, you won't have enough. It's very difficult to be generous. And I believe that most all of us have it kind of wired within us to want to be generous people. And yet when, when our brain is kind of going, man, but I may not, I don't know when I get old if I'm going to have enough. I don't know if I, if I give now, I may not have what I need to give all my kids all the experiences I want to give them. Or if I give, you know, I, I might not be able to, at the end of my life, say, well, man, I, I've made a success of myself. Because we all know that the way you keep score in this life is how much money you have, right? And I don't want to lose. And so that's how our brain thinks oftentimes, and it brings this fear. And so we play it safe, and we bury whatever it is that God has given us, and we sit on it, and God doesn't like that. Verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew, if you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was mine only with interest. This one talent guy, I mean, maybe he's thinking, you know, what I do doesn't matter that much. These other people, they've been given the bigger amounts. It probably matters for them. You ever thought that? Like, what I do with my life, my talents, my resources, the relationships God's entrusted to me, my kids, my spouse, my friendships, maybe the people God wants me to disciple and help grow spiritually, that, you know, that's all optional if I have time for it. And we often lose track and, 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 and just think that we can sit on something and let other people be the stewards. And so here's what God said to this particular person who was supposed to be a good steward, but he ended up being more of a not so good in verse 28. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Isn't that crazy? 
that the guy who had the most ends up with the, with the talent from the one who didn't use it well, who maybe needed it more, right? And it's like God takes it from the one and gives it to the other. Why? Do you love the other one more? No. He trusted him more. The other one was proven trustworthy in the way he stewarded his life, his resources, and the, and the, and the, the master's property, the master's resources. So what's the point? The point is that if you don't use it, you'll lose it. The point is, is that if you need more, you need to invest it. If you need more, what is it that you need more of? Maybe you look at this in, in a way like with money and say, I need more. Well, maybe if you start investing it, in the kingdom and being a good steward of it, then God will entrust you with more. Or maybe it's an area of a relationship and, and pouring more into your marriage, doing what that takes, maybe reading a book together or going to a life group together, or seeking God together and praying together, or doing something that will help encourage and grow your marriage, doing something to invest in it brings a greater return and God trusts you with more. See, we all have different amounts of things, different areas of capacity that God has given to us. And so he wants you to steward that well so that he can do what? Give you more. So that he can do what? Celebrate with you. So he can do what? Tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. <clears throat> Let me close with this illustration. Scott Kilpatrick uh, worked for his church in California for 17 years as an executive pastor. Did a phenomenal job. Learned kind of the skills of ministry there. And then um, I heard about Scott and, and heard that he was interested, that he had felt like God was stirring in his heart to move up to Spokane or somewhere. And so we got talking, and as, as we kind of developed a relationship over a couple months, he and Rochelle began praying and feeling like God was calling him to move up to Spokane and come and be on our staff. The only problem is I didn't have an executive pastor role. I had a part-time men's ministry role. And as he prayed about that, he felt like God told him to say yes to that. He didn't know how he was going to survive financially. They put their house up for sale. They um, sold their home. They got in the car. They moved, started moving up here, and on their way up, I was able to some things happened on our staff where I was able to offer him a full-time job. But isn't that interesting that how God often won't give you the full game plan? He'll just say, I want you to step out in faith. And no, you don't, not, you don't understand how all the pieces are going to come together, but I'm not going to do those things until you step out in faith. And so they did that. And after a few months of being up here, uh, things arranged in such a way where we made Scott our executive pastor, and he's done that amazingly for the past 11 years. And uh, this, this past year, he's been praying, and as he does every year, about his direction. <laughs> and uh, God has laid on he and Rochelle's heart to move back to the southwest area. I know. And in that, they're, they're in a similar situation. It's like they haven't even started looking. They haven't filled out resumes. Nobody's contacted them. None of that's happened. So it's not something happening tomorrow or anything. It's just that it's been the stirring in his heart 
and on Rochelle's heart. Now their parents live, Rochelle's parents uh, live half time down in Phoenix and Scott's in Southern California. So they, if in God's wisdom would bring them there, they would love that. But right now it's like, well, God, do you want me to be a senior pastor or executive pastor to be here, to be there, to be what? But I just feel like God is leading us and he's asked us to join in that prayer journey. That's amazing to me. I mean, I've never had a ministry partner like Scott. He is like the biggest godsend. And so to think of it, it's like, uh, I don't like it on one side, but it's so inspiring on the other side to say, wow, that you're not going to sit on your talent. You're not going to just, just um, write it out into the future, but you continue to ask God, Lord, what do you want from me? And that you're willing to do, even to go somewhere, do something different without even knowing how the money pans out or the job pans out or anything else pans out. And just say, I feel like God is leading. Saying yes to God. It inspires me as, as much as often it can be difficult to participate in as well. So they've asked us to pray. So as brothers and sisters... Can we do that for them over the course of this 2019? Because, you know, they're just starting this journey. And they've invited us as their church family into this journey. And he's going to stay on staff and do the phenomenal job he's always done until God makes that clear. How about you and me? You don't have to move cities in order to be a good steward or to move in faith. You don't have to change jobs. You don't have to do any of that. But you do have to move in faith. You do have to be willing to forego the comforts, the conveniences, the safety nets, and all the stuff that holds us in our, little, in our little rut sometimes. You do have to be willing to say, God, it's all yours. All of it. Everything I own, my future, my retirement account, my skills, my abilities, my intellect, my vocation, it's all yours, Lord. What do you want? And I would encourage you to do that, to give that to God. Just give it all to him and say, Lord, what do you want? What is my next step? For some, I know several who actually have gone back to school to get your degree. I just say, well done, way to go. Others, maybe you've just started tithing for the very first time because it's so scary to trust God with your money. And I just say, well done, keep it up. For others, maybe it's an area of your marriage that you need to invest in or one of your kids that you've not spent the time with that they need that time right now. Maybe it's a person that God is wanting you to start discipling and investing in. Or for someone else, it's that you need to step into being a leader. Quit just holding back and just going, I'll just be one of the team members. No, you need to step into leadership. And step up, because you know what leadership is? It means that you give some of your life away. It means that you invest in some other people. It means that you care about others to the point where you're going to sacrifice some of your own time. What is it for you? What is it for me that God is saying, I want you to move in faith. I want you to trust me. But I've invested an enormous amount in you by way of my son, by way of my spirit, by way of gifts, by way of time, energy, creativity, money. And don't live your life 
for anything other than an audience of one. That we all get to hear those great words that our heart longs to hear. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for coming to this earth. For loving us. For dying on that cross for me. And just like we celebrated communion, that your blood was shed for my sins. And maybe you're here this morning and that question has never fully been answered for you. What did you do with my son Jesus? And you can answer that clearly this morning by just turning over your life to God and just saying, God, I invite you in. God, I'm asking that you forgive my sin. I'm putting the full weight of my life in your hands. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. I want to hear those words at the end of my life. Well done. So I'm yours today, God. I embrace you, Jesus. And if that was your prayer, God is working powerfully on the inside of your life. For others of us, we just need to submit everything we have back to God. Maybe you've done that before, and this is just a time you need to do it again. God, I just, I don't want to live sitting on my talent, sitting on the things that you've entrusted to me, afraid and hiding. Lord, I'm stepping away from that right now in this moment. And I'm surrendering again everything that you've given to me, everything I own, everything I think I own. Help me remember that you're the actual owner and I'm the steward. And so I give it all to you, Lord, my calling, my vocation, my schooling, my assets, my energy, my creativity, even those areas of brokenness in my life, my sickness and my pain. I give it all to you, Lord, my limitations. And I just say, God, you made me. I belong to you. And so use me, God. Help me lean into faith and help me lean into the purpose that you made me and put me on this planet. I want to use those things well. I want to develop them well. I want this year to be a year, God, where I step into some new things and take some new risks in faith. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Well, uh, hope you guys have a wonderful day. If, uh, in a few moments, if you'd like a, some prayer, uh, you can come over underneath this monitor right over here. We have a prayer team that would love to agree with you in prayer. If you're new here or you've been coming for a while and you want to get more connected, I'd love to meet with you at First Connect right underneath this monitor. And then on some of the seats in, as you come in today, you've seen uh, these, this really cool tool. It's a Bible reading journal plan. And at the beginning of every series that we do, uh, we have a journal plan. And this is really cool because uh, if you struggle maybe writing, reading your Bible day to day, this is a really cool tool to use so that way you can not only just 
continue to read your Bible, but also follow along with the church as we continue doing these series. Otherwise, hey, I hope you guys have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next week.